0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Le Cole here with Benji Nissen for the Giro d'Italia Stage 9 recap. This, in my view, has been the most exciting and impactful stage of the Giro d'Italia so far and likely will be during this first week. The stage was 158 k's, not that long, from Castel di Sangro to Campo Felice, 3,500 metres of climbing and barely any flat throughout this stage, false flat. Maybe between some of the climbs, they've got 14Ks, 4%, 11Ks, 4%, 12Ks, 4.5%, 12.5Ks, 5%, then a ridgeline for about 20 kilometers, maybe a bit less, and then 6Ks at 5.7% to Rocca the Cambio with a gravel sector at the end. 1.5Ks, steep pinches, it's a nasty finish, we thought it would suit someone like Dan Martin, Ciccone, or Egan Bernal. The other climbs are not so steep, so would suit riders like Moscon, Nardvais, uh, Ghana and Castro Viejo. Attila Volta went into the stage with a narrow lead with the Malia Rosa. It would be a tough ask for the young Hungarian to keep that jersey, and the fiercest battle for the breakaway broke out at the start of this stage benji
1: yes a lot of uh breakaway battles and it's just because we start with an uphill section that is fairly large in a shorter stage said it quite a few times how that works in uh on this podcast before this allows for larger groups to get away and allows for well the gap between the rider that rides away and the peloton is limited because it's an uphill section and because of that a lot of riders try to bridge that gap towards a break and that's why they keep on going with that we saw that a lot today because well I don't think we saw a breakaway on the first section, the first climb. Then we had that small descent. then on the second climbing section, we still had people trying to form breakaways. We had quite a few interesting moves. One of the most interesting ones to me personally was one where Mohorich was in the breakaway. Then we saw Gino Mader going in there as well, Caruso, but also a rider from Ineos. And that is Danny Martinez. And I'd like to show it to you for kind of giving an explanation to why putting Danny Martinez in a breakaway in. In EOS terms, is a very, very clever move.
0: Well, it forces teams like Quick Step and all the other GC teams really to start panicking because Martinez is a legitimate GC threat, not a man you want to be giving eight minutes or eight minutes a bit much, but anytime really. He's a legit, legit GC threat. He's like, at like 55 seconds. He won Criterion to Dauphiné last year, serious climber. You don't know how good he'll be in that third week. I mean, we've never seen him do it all for all three weeks, but you you don't know, the young, talented Colombian climber. So great move from Ineos. Uh, But then they eventually, uh, I thought Ineos started to shut it down. That got shut down by UAE. Uh, Benji and I don't really know why UAE took it upon themselves to shut it down, perhaps protecting Formalos GC. I would have made quick Step do it. But, yeah, why do you think was it just they didn't have a – ulysses up there or something
1: correct they didn't have a rider up there and ulysses was very eager to be in the breakaway today we saw that with him trying a few times and then missing out on the decisive one and we saw that Molano, a sprinter so it wasn't really that bad to use him at that point he was still there and he actually did a hell of a job trying to reduce the gaps so that ulysses could make a move and that's exactly what happened ulysses made that move and eventually got into a, a newer breakaway afterwards but so many breakaways formed today and eventually it all came down to a breakaway with not necessarily the riders that, well, some riders that we were expecting, like a Bauke Mollema, for example, and... But let's talk about why this happened Benji.
0: We didn't address yeah, it the other day. Ahead. How come... In these climbing stages, we end up getting breaks comprised of rouleurs and baradeurs rather than the climbers you'd expect. It happened in the break yesterday with just Lafay being perhaps the best climber. Europe. how is Campanaz and Nicias Arndt and Oliveira making it into the break? It's because there's been so much attacking. Eventually, the break forms on a downhill section. And so it's really where the break forms that defines the composition yep. of the breakaway. And if it's formula on a downhill or a flat section, then that's how we have guys like who do we have? Benji, Louis Leon Sanchez. Uh, I think it was a pretty strong break. Actually, it had Kone, George Bennett, Bouchard. Big contenders were Simon Carr, Ruben Guerrero, Balca Molima. Guerrero and Molima, perhaps the favourites from that break. So pretty strong, to be honest. Storer for DSM, large and George working. Bennett. Together,
1: yeah, he was in the break. But this breakaway did form with those rulers, but also decent climbers. Bouchard, for example, won, that won the Vuelta KOM two years ago, 2019, if I recall correctly. So yep. they can definitely do some KOM Hangar. stuff, and that's exactly what he was going for as
0: well. Nicola Ede, good. I know Rubio from Movistar, the Colombian, a threat as well. But it's not a really tough finish to this stage, but the break was looking good. FDJ, I mean, I thought him was doing too good a job pacing At the end, and we'll talk about whether they made a mistake, Benji, at the end of this pod when we've got the hindsight 2020. But they kept this gap stable at 2:30, 2:40, three minutes, 10 was the most they sort of let it get to, and no one else was helping them. It's just brake plugging away, and FDJ keeping it really. Really tight, and we were thinking 45k's to go. The race situation hasn't really changed. We're at 250. We've got one long climb left, the Ovendoli, 17k's at four and a half percent. And I'm thinking, is any uh, else going to start pacing at any point? Do any else want to win this stage? Do they want to care about bringing back the breakaway? And eventually, they did start pacing with the break at about 255, three minutes with. Puccio, Gana seemed to not really be there. I couldn't see him, and they had everyone else, and they immediately brought it down to two thirty, and then suddenly the gap started going back out again. It seemed that Puccio's pace was not that strong, and it was Simon Carr attacking Benji with Bouchard from the breakaway on the. They crested the summit of, of Indoli first, and remember you've got a flatter section of fifteen k's before the final climb. Do you think that was a mistake from EF when they had the Ineos pacing behind, numerical advantage to attack with Car? or do you think they didn't rate Guerrero's legs today?
1: I think that it's a, a bit of a mistake because in this situation, if the gap is so little, because to be honest, at three minutes, I was still thinking Ineos is going gonna, is gonna to bang this up and is going sure. to get back to this group anyway. But I thought that the bigger chance of staying ahead was combining those forces and trying to use one for the other, making sure that the gap from that breakaway to the peloton stay significant and that action by car made it so that in the second group they started not really working to get it too well and guerreros could sit at the end but then again i think that using car for guerrero would have been a better option personally but yeah the other way around to be honest Bouchard I mean, it, dropped yeah. car relatively easily so yeah. i think that <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered too much either i think
0: yeah. <laughs> i know and so, the thing is Ineos pacing eventually didn't bring that gap down too much. What did you see from Bahrain? The gap goes back out to 255 with Puccio pacing. Why do you think Trutnik came to the front and started smashing it after that climb? To yeah, I don't. Was it for Caruso GC? Was it for stage? What was the explanation? Because he brought that gap back from 250 to 220 with about 17 k's to go.
1: Well, a bit earlier in the stage, we saw that Caruso was looking really good. He rocketed past people to the breakaway in in early form, but that breakaway just didn't stick. And the fact that they now missed the breakaway like that, a team like Bahrain, was like yeah. It's pretty essential for a team like that to try and have people ahead because they've got the climbers that can win a stage like this from a breakaway. We've seen it before this week. And in all honesty, I think that it was a bit little too late what they were trying to do there. Caruso is indeed pretty close in GC, but what is Trotnyk going to do? He's going to close that a tiny bit, make that gap a bit smaller. and, And then what? Caruso is still going to have to depend fully on what happens from other teams to do something at the end here. And... I don't think that Caruso and Bahrain are the ones that need to set this up Personally, I think they missed the train and they were trying to set something up to make that work still.
0: Here's where the race gets really interesting. And as Benji mentions, just Trutnik pulling is not enough. You have about 13 k's to go. Ineos have a full team. They have disappeared from the front. Completely disappeared. We've seen Remco Evenepoel in this flatter section move to the front, and he's on the front of the peloton, Benji, in the, Mal- in the Malibianca, pacing as if he's trying to get some crosswind action going with Almeida. And because Ineos are at the back, there really wasn't any wind, I don't think, or definitely not a strong enough one, and nothing came of it. And I was thinking, is this stage 15 Tour de France all over again, where Ineos were bluffing, <laughs> where they <laughs> came to the front? And we're trying to have a soft pace, which they did initially with Puccio because Bernal's not feeling it. And then Step are trying to call that bluff. That's what that happened initially. You see Alperson up there with four riders and teams you don't expect. FDJ back up there again. And this is all good for the breakaway. Cohen Bowman, he's chasing after Bouchard quickly with about 15ks to go. And it's at this point in the race it became clear that Ineos had no interest in trying to make a difference on GC on the uh, Ovindoli climb. It was not steep enough. All they would have done is just really burnt themselves to help the other teams. Likewise, on the false flat descent section, with maybe a bit of a headwind before the Campo Felice climb, there was, they wanted the, probably the bonus seconds to be taken which were at 150Ks done with about 8Ks to go, which they did by the break, and they were like, let's save all our resources for this final 5.5K kick to the line and try and make a difference there, and that's what happened. 5Ks to go, or 6Ks to go rather, they hit this climb. Bowman's joining up with Bouchard. They've still got a healthy gap of 2 minutes, 2 minutes 20 Ineos start to absolutely smash it on the front. Bernal's back mustn't have been feeling bad at all, or it was just team orders. They've got Castroviejo, uh, Martinez. They had five riders at the front, pretty much Narvaez. I always miss him. Narvaez first, eating into this gap. 3Ks it's at a minute, and we've got a 1.5K kicker at the end. So it was clear. It was great tactics from Ineos, and I was sort of worried that they were going to let this stage slip through their hands that they could win by not pacing. Uh, But it was clear that there was nothing to be gained from pacing earlier, and FDJ did a lot of the work for them. We get onto the gravel section, one6 k's to go. Bouchard is pacing. We've come through a long tunnel, and we just see Ineos with uh, Moscon in the wings. Moscon hits the gravel section, Benji, and what did you think would happen there when Moscon started to pace?
1: Well, the gap to the front riders, the front two riders that were still a bit together there with and Bauman was not exactly large. They, well, <laughs> we, we didn't really have a, a correct feeling of what the gap was at that moment because we just came out of the tunnel and the gaps were kind of broken for a second. But it looked like it was about 35 seconds when the, uh, when the gravel section started. And the way Moscon spread his wings and massacred the first part of that, of that gravel section with Bernal in the wheel was really interesting because the positioning of the people in the group is what makes me intrigued here we see at roughly 1.1k to go that Remco Evenepoel is in a 15th 20th position and Bernal is in second position so it's definitely not ideal for Remco that he's so far behind Vlazov also 15th position going into that section and well you need to be higher up if you want to be in a good position a competitive position if you want to make sure that when someone accelerates from the front you can somewhat try and follow. And that wasn't really the case, but the way Moscon hammered it really opened and paved the path for Moscon to first close the gap a tiny bit towards the people ahead of him. Those two breakaway riders. The other people were basically trying to follow what Moscon was doing in that group. Bernal was ready. Bernal was ready to strike. And I think Volta with a was good.
0: dropping, I think
1: as yep, well. Valter was Volta already to dropping the through as well. Benji mentioned. A ton of people. And, the thing was, we saw Remko crawl a bit back because with 800 meters to go, we saw that he was in, in 7th, 6th position. So he was re- already getting a bit back, which, which was definitely an improvement from 300 meters earlier. So if he did that a bit earlier, then he might not have had to put that effort in at that point. But Remko was relatively close again.
0: Oshan Balmer was still ahead, but Vlasov was the first man to initiate the act. Like he came off Moskhod's pace with the attack which I was surprised by, was 500 metres to go. Bernal immediately to his wheel, and then Bernal was like, actually, this pace ain't nearly hot enough. Kicks off his wheel. (laughs) He's got Ciccone on the wheel. Volta's dropped, so we know Malia is probably changing, and the question is, can Remco stay there? And Remco's positioning was really bad. Almeida was looking around to see where is Remco. Almeida was in good position And Bernal attacked, he then got to a steeper section on this gravel, he's got Chikone on the wheel, you can see him fiddling with his gears, finally gets it in the right gear, I think he was shifting up, kicks again on the flatter section and just straight up drops Chikone off the wheel, nasty stuff from Bernal, flies past Colin Bowman and Bouchard who joined up together and we're thinking what is this time gap going to be Bernal and he kept, kept kept extending that gap we couldn't see where Remco was he's extending it to Chicone, who was on his wheel remember with like 300 meters to go and Bernal out of sight is to to well it doesn't post up he's riding for GC takes a magnificent stage win catching the break in the last 250 meters attacking and gapping all the other GC contenders it's the stage we were hoping for it's We've got to say we won't play the recording. The exact stage we ex- said might happen yesterday on the pod. Um, but here's the top 10 results. Bernal first, Chicono second on seven seconds with Vlasov. Even only on 10 seconds fourth with Martin fifth, same time. Caruso on 12 seconds with Bardet, Soda Martinez, Almeida. Formula, Carthy, Bookman, Yates, all in that group on the same time. The GC meant to lose time, I guess, Nibali, Hindley, Volta Pil- Bill Bao, uh, but not really any of the big contenders. Uh, I'll just mention our show partner, LaCole. Had people asking, where can we get the discount for LaCole's kit for the Lantern Roo Cycling Podcast listeners? It's all caps LRCP20. There's also a Strava challenge at the moment related to the new project Aero McLaren collab that Lacole are doing you can go to the go to Strava go to Lacole they're like a club or an organization on Nicole and if you record 300 active minutes or complete a 100 mile 160k ride in under six hours you go in for a chance for two chances to win the complete Lacole McLaren project Aero collection so I'll probably be going in for that once I get to travel on Tuesday. So thanks to Le for supporting the podcast. So the big question I have there, Benji, not about Bernal, Avernapol, not a disaster at all. In fact, I think he was gaining time on Bernal in the last two hundred
1: meters. I think so as well. I um, I feel like there's probably a lot to say about how Remco wrote this one point six kilometers of gravel section because, first of all, what was the reason that he was caught behind? Was it because For example, he was not positioned properly. Was it because the accelerative move by Moscon was too high for him to be positioned properly? And then a third thing is that there's a rumor that he had a gear problem, but I'm not sure about that, so I won't go off that yet. So I think that we need to focus on the first two first. I think that it's a combination of both. I think that he doesn't have the acceleration to follow what Bernal is doing, but he also doesn't necessarily have the positioning experience to put himself in a position to well, be in the most competitive possible place. And I think a combination of both was what caused Remco to not be at his best in the middle side of the section. But the way Bernal launched and the way Remco in comparison was basically doing a more calculated approach to the gravel section, it felt like to me, because Bernal was just flying off and trying to destroy everybody while Remco seemed like he was passing people left and right To enter that fifth position so a bit of a different approach from both i'm really not sure what to think about in terms of what this could mean for montalcino for example because well gravel montalcino it's kind of connected you know so i think that i'm impressed by what remco showed today and i wouldn't write him off for montalcino yet because a lot of people have been doing so but i also wouldn't be naming him as the perfect candidate because that positioning is really important on something like montalcino and dad could really bite him in his ass if he doesn't do that correctly.
0: I don't know if I'm impressed. I would say his legs are really good. But the positioning is a problem. Benji, I just saw your yep. tweet. With 1K to go, Remco is, I would say, 20 bike lengths behind Moscon pacing Bernal in a yep. on a gravel section where it's difficult to move up in a straight line. And you're just putting yourself in such a disadvantage there. And maybe... His legs couldn't respond to the harsh accelerations from Moscon and Bernal. Maybe it was positioning. I don't know, because Almeida Benji, he's he's right next to his almost half-wheeling Bernal, and there's Yates right there. So that's something to watch for Montalcino. That being said, once he has been gapped this first week, even a pole, he almost claws back the time. And these are short climbs, and he's clawing back the time very quickly. So Montalcino will be interesting to see Okay, say so Bernal gets a gap on that 3K 9% section, Benji, can he maintain it? He's going to then have to yep. be TTing head-to-head against apol Handling will come into it as well. Bernal's handling were really good today, always solid, uh, I generally think. And um, that's why he's now in the Malia Rosa. Here's the revised GC. Pretty much all the big guns now up there. Bernal first, we're in the Malia. 15 seconds over apol 21 seconds ahead of Vlasov. Jacone in fourth. 36 seconds. Volta drops down to fifth on 43. He did conserve his losses fairly well, Volta. Carthy drops down as well as Caruso at 44 and 45. Martin Yates the same at 51 55. And Formelo on a minute one. Danny Martinez, remember, Danny Martinez is only on 112 as this first week is ending. That's a big plus for Ineos, I think, to yes. have him still there. I think they're going to be very happy with that. And I de- I actually personally think. That's better than what Sivikov would be on if he hadn't crashed. Moscon,
1: 228.
0: It's Moscon on 228, because that's that's interesting too, Moscon conserving. So strike for Bernal and Ineos. Who do you think's happier with this first week so far? Ineos or Tukernik Quickstep?
1: I think both should be happy about the week they've ridden. Bernal has been showing... Some decent form. He's been unable to drop them on the on the proper climb we had, but then again, it wasn't a proper proper climb yet. So we haven't arrived at the bigger climbs in the third week. And so far, his form has been looking good. If he sticks with that no back pain moment so far, then I do truly believe that he could win this zero. But Nadezda pull is very very close on fifteen seconds, which means that Bernal needs time on Remco in the next two weeks and. I think that the thing that people are saying is he won't hold up in the third week. It's possible. It's completely possible. We just don't know it. And that's where the issue lies here, that Remco should be very happy with the form he showed in the first week. He's in a position that he probably did not 100% expect to be in, I would expect, going into a Grand Tour with no race days. You probably fear a bit less, but it's it's pretty crazy that he's on second right now, and he's showing that he's simply strong on the on the steady climbs the moment that i'm not 100 sure for whether he's going to be perfect is on that um what's it called uh monte last three kilometer section very steep yeah, section well the problem there is then then i start doubting he he dropped from 75 kilos to 60.5 for this zero which means that he on paper weighs less, which makes him on paper better on steeper gradients. But we know that that is a very big assumption. It's not certain that that is the case. So, is that going to help him? Is that not going to help him on paper? I'd expect him to help it to help him, but it depends on what he lost, whether he lost muscle in, in certain areas or it, it's really difficult to, to look into this and say, oh, he's going to be better at the last three kilometers on the Montez-Ancola. And it's it's hard to say. So. From the first three riders here in GC, with now Vlazov in Fad as well, I think Vlazov should also be very happy with the place he is in. He's basically heading towards a podium on Grand Tour if he stays riding like this. He's got a better time trial than quite a few riders around him, except for Ivanapool. So that's definitely helping him as well. And I think that Vlazov is also better on the steadier climbs and on Zomkulan as well. We saw on Angliuru last year that that really fits him, the steep part at the end of a climb. and I think that Vlasov is looking good as well. Then Chikone is a difficult one because the man will attack three climbs from the end in some stages and still be able to hang on. (laughs) Ah, It's like he started this and he's like, let's just play along, will we? (laughs) I think Vlasov too. I think
0: Vlasov deserves a little bit of criticism too. I mean, he's finished the stage seven seconds back, but he's attacked. and We knew If you see Ineos setting up five men like that with 5Ks to go to smash it, Bernal is going to attack especially we don't have Rog or Pog here. He's going to attack. He's going to... They don't just do that for a laugh. Like, there's a point to it. And for Vlasov to attack off the Moscon pace, and Vlasov was out of position too when Remco was out of position with a K to go. So he made up a lot of wheels, presumably costing a lot of energy. I think if he follows Bernal's attack or tries to, I think maybe he finishes a bit closer today and he'd be a bit closer to Bernal and GC. What I think... Ineos should be really hope, like taking a lot of heart from, is they don't do need to do anything crazy to win this year at Italia, Benji. They've already got 15 seconds. They took 20 seconds out of even Avonopol today on GC. Conservatively, they would probably want to sleep really easy. Surely 2.45 in the last TT is enough. I mean, after last year, who knows? But 2.45 is enough. I mean, what Bernal has the big advantage over. Avenepole seems to be the accelerations in the last 800 meters, and then able to get being able to get those bonus seconds, kind of like a Roglic strategy. Take 10 yeah, seconds it's on the road, 10 seconds on the road, it's... 10 seconds for the win, and maybe some bonus seconds. If you add them up and keep doing that in stages, and maybe a bit more on Zonkland, a little bit of a gap here, gap there, you quickly have a lot of time on GC Benji. And now the ball will be in Avenepole's court. So, so do you think? Ineos are going to really have to say, oh, we need to, you know, on the stage 17 or something, Alpenir really try and put a minute into Evenepoel? Or do you think they can just play a battle of
1: attrition now? It really depends on how the the second week goes because we're talking now about an all-out strategy for the next two weeks. But I think that the second week will very heavily influence what will happen in the third week. And, for example, we could see that Evenepoel Falls apart on the Montalcino section. It's, it's entirely possible, and if that's the case, then they don't need to gain one minute thirty on their competitors because now they kind of need to do so for Avnepool because the time is just miles ahead. So it's it depends on which competition is behind them and how close they are by the time they are at the end of the second week. I don't necessarily think that that anyone will directly steal Bernal's thing jersey in the second week, though, because it surprised me. It would really surprise me. I think that. Bernal has been showing strength on all terrains, all kinds of terrains. He's better on those transitioning stages with his entire team because those generally fit him a lot. And for example, Stage 12 is also a semi-transitioning stage. Ineos should be really strong there, could really push something on the last hill again, and they could easily gain another 10 seconds on other people. So I think that there's a lot of good stages on the second week that could play into that. And I think the moment that happens, we will we will start seeing what they should do in the third week. Because saying that beforehand might be completely worthless by the time we start the third week stages. That's how I view what Bernal should be taking care of. I think that, honestly, they're very close when it comes to the Strava sections uh, on, uh, on Montalcino. I think Sivakov was fourth in that, so that's a big loss for the team, though. It's very unfortunate that he couldn't uh, spread those uh, gravel wings that he apparently is pretty good at. It's very interesting to see who did the recons and who didn't do the recons for Montalcino. We'll talk about it a bit more, I think, the day before Montalcino happens. But I think that Montalcino could either be an entirely overrated stage by everybody, or it could be really impressive.
0: I think it's going to be very important because it's not just I this was so. a one this was a one point six K gravel section. Montaltino is not yep. a tokenistic gravel section. 35 Ks of strata in the last 70 Ks with steep climbs. I think yep. I don't think I don't think Ineos should do uh 10 seconds here, 15 seconds there as their main goal. If that's what happens, that's fine. I think their overall philosophy of if we have the the numbers, if Bernal has the legs, even if he if his back doesn't feel bad we try. If Remco just has our we test him out, and I think just keep doing that. If you feel good, try, and you've got the team to do it. And they weren't really worrying about the break. Sure, he got the stage win. I don't think this was some master plan for Ineos to calculate the time gap to the stage to the break perfectly. As I said, I think they were just like, we keep the riders and the team together for the final climb. We hit it, and Bernal again tries to hit the uh, other GC contenders. And if he gets the stage, that's great. Uh, But try and get time on the road. And I think they're just going to keep doing that whenever he feels good and hopefully his back holds up. But what a stage, Benji. My favorite stage of the Shearer d'Italia so far because I thought, oh, it's going to be another break. We're going to get GC action. And not pacing, then they're pacing. Is it your favorite so far? It's definitely the one that sticks out in my mind the most, perhaps because of that gravel section.
1: I did really enjoy it. I'm not sure that's my favorite. I think I need to look back a bit because uh, by the time we reached my stage, I, I forgot everything that happened in stage 1 to 8, mate. My memory is not that great. But one thing I didn't forget was uh, something that happened on one of the uh, earlier descents in today's stage. Oh, we yes. said that there was a bit of a, an important move with Caruso in the breakaway, also with Mader in the breakaway, and they had a teammate, Mohoric, in that group. And we went into a descent with Mader doing the front portion of the descending, so... I don't know what the reasoning behind it is. Maybe it's because they want to do a tempo that the others can follow instead of Mohoric just smashing everybody to bits in the descent. But Mohoric was in second wheel, and it looks like he was hitting a bit of a, a not amazing section of road furniture. No, road surface, not furniture. There was no road s- furniture in the descent. Road surface in a in a corner in that descent while he was taking it in the apex. And well, he ended up. It looked his front wheel got locked, and that caused him to go straight over the front of a steer and he ended up landing with his head onto the floor and then rolling a bit to the side as well his bike broke into really crazy crash genuinely if you if it's on twitter or something just don't watch it because i i didn't enjoy the experience not gonna lie and i didn't enjoy the three replays we got after it and uh, unfortunately um yeah, that that's the the amazing part of it. He got a concussion, though, according to the reports, which is relatively obvious. And it's up to the rider to say, oh, no, I need a concussion test." It's a bit weird. Maybe there should be a system where the race radio actually describes how the crash happened, or like, or like gives like a little note: concussion test, whatever. I don't know how it works, but I feel like that would probably improve the chances of him not getting a bike in that situation because. It looked, a bit, it looked a bit silly, to be honest, and he had to sit down and eventually we saw that he was brought away with, with the ambulance. So uh, I'm glad he's relatively okay. Concussion is not horrendous, but it could be bad. So it's good that it's looked after immediately. And I hope that we see him back in action soon, but it unfortunately won't be uh, in this Giro, which is sad because I, I look forward to seeing him in that Slovenia stage in the coming yeah, week. Yeah, Definitely.
0: That's a shame for him, but thankfully he seems to be okay and he was wanting to call his family straight away. But tomorrow's stage, just quickly, L'Aquila to Foligno, 148 k's. There's a climb at the start for a break, 6 k's, 4.2%. Then the Valico de la Soma, 6.8 k's, 5%, which crests 40 k's from the finish and then a flat run-in at the finish. This is clearly not a GC day at all. The question is, can the break be controlled? by the sprinters teams, and or will Bora and co try and drop some of the other right sprinters on that climb, bearing in mind that Ewan's been d- abandoned? How do you see tomorrow's stage, Benji, before we go back for some more GC discussion? Looks like Nizzolo or Sagan time to me.
1: It's got a few hills in there, certainly, but are they hard enough for Bora to pull through on that volico de la for example? I don't think so. I think so. that it could do damage. It's very short afterwards. That's the thing. 30 kilometers of flatness after that descent. That's uh, that's what shouts something at me. But we've seen that Agavidio gets good over climbs. Yani gets good over climbs. Now that Ewan is not here, I think that we might see a rather surprising finisher. I think that Merlier has shown severe issues on climbing sections. Is that going to be troublesome on this climb? Ugh, it, it could drop him for a bit, but the entire opposite team will be there to support him and bring him back. So... Is that going to be a, a problem I'm not necessarily thinking? So I think we're just, we're likely going to see a sprint between the likes of a still and Viviani. And I think that looking at how the finish looks on the map, it's going into Foligno. It's not necessarily the craziest technical one, but I'm not 100% sure of that. But if that's the case, then I'm going to go wild and I'm going to say Viviani for this one. I just, I just feel to... like,
0: yeah. That's a good call. No, no, I agree. Viviani's still quick. Look, He's climbing fine. I'm going to go with Nitzolo. <laughs> i will yeah.
1: try. He's going to second, and... mate, Let's be real. Well,
0: <laughs> the thing is, there's a collection of, it's like three climbs in a row. 3K is 3.7%, 6K is 4%, then 7K is 5%. That's where the attrition might be a problem. Chimelais looked really good. Probably the best climber of those guys. Nitzolo didn't look good at the finish the other day. I don't really have a strong view on it, to be honest. I'd have to see the odds to really form a view. So it could be any of Chimelay, Merlier, Gavidia, uh, Sagan, Nizzolo, Viviani. It just really depends on how the stage is ridden and the wind on those climbs and whether Bora want to take it up. I think Röneveggen could be in trouble, and that's why I don't really like him for it at the moment, and Ewan may have been. But that's tomorrow's stage, probably a bang-on, sprint stage i think my last point before we sign off is did fdj cost volta the malia Rosa by pacing the break too hard worrying about guerrero no i don't think so for the reasons we discussed about Ineos wanting to pace hard on that final climb independent of the breakaway they weren't focused on the break and i think Ineos were going to do that anyway which meant volta was probably dropping so i don't think if FTJ cost him the jersey, although they did keep that break a little bit too tight. Something to think about, which maybe you won't see other teams doing in the future or a more experienced GC team. But a great stage, and we can't wait to recap the stage tomorrow. The last one before the rest day, and then I fly overseas on Tuesday. Benji Manning before then. But Giro is heating up. We're excited, and uh, you can probably hear it from us. If you want to like the video down below, it helps us out a lot. If you enjoyed this recap, as well as giving us a review on podcast players, if, if that's where you listen. But until then, ciao.